0: Hi, pharmacists and friends. Today is Monday, January 8th, 2024. Welcome to the regimen where public health pharmacists, pharmacy students, and our guests discuss the latest public health issues. Listen in to find out how pharmacists and pharmacy students like me can improve population health, health equity, and patient care through advocacy and education. My name is Cassie Capesa, and I'm a final year pharmacy student at the University of Rhode Island working with the Rhode Island Department of Health alongside my professor, Dr. Bratberg.
1: And I'm Jeff Bradberg. I'm a clinical professor of pharmacy practice and clinical research at the URI College of Pharmacy and the academic collaborations officer at the Rhode Island Department of Health. As a reminder to our listeners, the opinions expressed in this podcast by the hosts and guests do not represent the opinions of the United States government, the Rhode Island Department of Health, nor the University of Rhode Island.
0: Today we're going to be talking about policy development, joined by my personal friend Andrea Gustafson, who recently graduated from Brown University in May 2023 with her Master in Public Affairs, or MPI, and who currently works as a policy advisor for a local school district. Additionally, Andrea completed her undergraduate studies in political sciences at Boston University. Andrea, could you talk a little bit about your work so far and the role in development of policy? Sure. And thank you guys for having me
2: on. So I started my policy work during my undergraduate studies with an internship at the Women's Policy Institute of Rhode Island. The Women's Policy Institute, also known as WPI, is a professional development and leadership program designed to develop policy, advocacy, and strategic communication skills among women who are interested in influencing the policymaking process. The cohort that I interned for selected the doula bill as their focus, which provides reimbursement through insurance for doulas for a more equitable process. In the latter half of my bachelor's studies, I focused more on international development policy, and I was super fortunate to be able to intern overseas in London at the African Venture Capital and Private Equity Association. There I gained insights on how the private sector influences development work, and I've gained insight that I've been able to since take into my public sector work. Then I went to Brown for graduate school and I focused my projects and research there on international policy. And since graduation, I've been working on the municipal level for a school district. And I hope to use this municipal level experience to eventually go to the federal level of policymaking and foreign affairs. So my current position, I work as a liaison between the school board and the school district to ensure the policy agenda of both are addressed and that they both have a voice in all policymaking. Most policies will stem from a specific department in the district, and my participation in the policymaking depends on the department's capacity and general culture. Some policies, a department will tell me what they're looking for and give me general direction, and then I'll do the appropriate research and stakeholder analysis and draft the policy and give it back to the department for final feedback. Other departments will then create a policy all on their own and just hand it off to me as a last check, and I facilitate it through the approval process.
0: So you were involved with the Women's Policy Institute, which is very interesting. Uh, They're associated with the Reproductive Freedom Coalition, who helped us with the recently passed bill for pharmacists prescribed hormonal contraceptives awaiting final regulatory approval. But you said that you had some involvement with the Rhode Island doula bill. Could you describe your connection to that policy? Yeah, so before my
2: internship with WPI, I had never even heard of a doula, let alone their impact in assisting a healthy pregnancy and birthing process. Women of color in our country are three to four times more likely than a white woman to have complications during childbirth, and the assistance of doulas is considered a way to help lessen this gap. The internship was pretty much my first experience in the real world of policy work beyond an academic setting. Um, so much of this was technical assistance on my part as the cohort champion the bill. For this project, my technical assistant involved coordination work for meetings and interviews as the cohort met with the legislator sponsoring the bill, nonprofits who had been doing the work, and doulas themselves, as well as people with personal stories about using doula services.
0: So I also wasn't always familiar with the role of a doula. But after reading the bill and some other experiences as a student, I learned that they're very impactful. And that does sound like a lot of important logistical work, all involving all of the key people who would benefit from the bill passage. Since you were likely in the room for some of these meetings, what was the biggest takeaway from them?
2: Yeah, a huge lesson that both myself and the woman in this WPI cohort learned is how to be an advocate for an initiative that already has advocacy work taking place. So many in the cohort also just learned about this bill and the work and were excited to go get their hands dirty, but we quickly learned the importance of finding your place within an advocacy initiative. It's important and more effective to work with other players and see where you can fit into existing efforts instead of just jumping in and possibly repeating efforts that have already been completed.
0: Yeah, I've heard that repetition is effective in advocacy and health promotion. What are the potential issues with repeating efforts? Why is coordination so necessary?
2: Repetition definitely does have its place in advocacy. However, issues begin to occur when the audience fatigues from hearing the same message repeatedly and then becomes desensitized to the information. Coordination is necessary to diversify the voices and stories that are being told. For example, hearing about testimony from five doulas about the impact of their job is great, but if you diversify this, so the testimony is maybe two women who have received doula care, one doula, and then a researcher who gives some numerical evidence about the impact, this keeps audiences more engaged and it also reveals different facets of the bill's impact.
0: That makes sense. Hearing from people with a wider range of roles gives you more perspective on the topic as a whole too. That definitely leaves a longer lasting impression on the audience. Uh, The 2024 Rhode Island legislative session has started and bills are being introduced now. On this rotation, I actually took a step towards state advocacy by searching for my state rep and senator. I also signed up with the bill tracker system online, both of which were super easy to do. From your experiences, what are some of the other advocacy steps that anyone listening can do?
2: Some efforts that I and the WPI cohort took for this policy, and I've since taken it and used it for different policies, is writing testimony, which you have the power and right to do, to send to the Rhode Island legislator. Um, I also learned how easy it is to contact and email your own representative with that, so many initiatives will have templates already written and you can literally just copy and paste them and send them to your representatives. Um, members in the WPI cohort also created postcards to raise awareness of our issue, um, worked with organizations to phone bank and found other people to give in-person testimony who might not have already been involved with it, but had important stories to tell, which um, better humanizes the issue to the legislature.
1: Yeah, it's great. I've I testified many many times for bills many many ways and i understand the importance of repetition to a point but diversifying the voices is is, is actually really important too and, and having that anecdote is what's advised when we ask students to write testimony or provide a testimony to say who are you where are you from and it's great that cassie is a rhode island resident and so has a distinct uh, uh, benefit from any of the bills that benefit pharmacists in the state um so getting into that, one of the things that I've recommended to folks is to actually show up to provide public testimony. We're in a small state, but everyone has lots of competing demands. Um, but sometimes we even ask, I think, what our listeners may not know, is that even just sh- signing up to say yay or nay on the sheet, whether you're providing written or verbal testimony or not, also has an important impact. One hearing I was at, the chair said, we have 13 yays and no nays This sounds like a great bill. So the committee chair is the person who puts it forward. So that's impressive to them that people actually showed up to even just put an X on the sheet. Um, Maybe even mailing those forms. I like that you talked about postcards. That's a really great way to reach out to representatives. Uh, Policymakers really do pay attention to these things.
0: Yeah. So we talked a little bit about how we can advocate for the bills being introduced. Let's talk about how to craft a bill and then have it introduced. I know that it's important to identify a problem statement. For example, our focus bill this year in 2024 is generating a pharmacist payment for their additional services to patients. Other than this, what are important considerations when first generating and introducing a new bill that you wanna pass?
2: So once you determine and define your problem, it's time to start thinking about your potential solutions. To find solutions, I personally delve into research about the problem from academic sources. You want to make sure not to pigeonhole yourself onto one solution when you just begin and take into consideration a bunch of different um, possibilities. So I also then determine the stakeholders in the policy and connect with them hearing their perspectives on how the problem can be solved. Then once you determine these few solutions, you go back again, research the solution specifically, connect with more stakeholders that have specific um holdings on these solutions, and then perform a cost benefit analysis. This cost benefit benefit analysis in policy making is not strictly monetarily as the term does imply to some, but is a full economic analysis including opportunity cost. Put very simply, opportunity costs consider what you have to give up from one option when you pursue another. So once the solution. That you decide will be the basis of your policy is determined, loop back around for more stakeholder feedback, make sure all the stakeholders are represented, and give their feedback, and this is a big part of my current role.
0: I also thought of a cost-benefit analysis to be primarily monetary, too, before you just mentioned that. The way you explained it, I can definitely see how it's important to have input from everyone involved, though. What are the most important components of a solution-focused policy to increase the chance of passage, knowing that it usually takes a few tries or even years to get some of these things passed?
2: So when presenting a policy, I think that one of the most important components is having statistically significant studies that back your policy um, that can be used as a basis And then in addition, I think it's usually beneficial to have some personal stories attached to this policy that can give a face and humanity to the proposal. Another aspect of policy development that's super important is political feasibility. Sometimes people who are against a policy, so for example, the doula bill, we had private insurance companies who weren't so into it. They have quite a bit of political sway. So you commonly have to compromise. And while this compromise is needed with political adversaries and policymaking, you need to realize that sometimes a watered down version of a policy you want to implement can actually be the first step and the basis for improvement to get the full policy that you want um, established.
0: It's definitely always great to be prepared for all of these potential encounter arguments, as you alluded to, and to take them into consideration. Going back to what you mentioned before uh, a couple points ago, can you mention or can you describe what stakeholder analysis means and how it impacts policymaking? Sure.
2: So stakeholder analysis is one of the most important parts of policymaking for me. The term means collecting information from people who will be directly impacted by your policy. Those of us in the policy and consultancy field can't be experts on everything, so taking the opinions of those who are directly impacted by our decisions is crucial. The reason I take this part of policymaking so seriously is from an equity perspective. It's important to make sure that those included in policymaking decisions are not those that are just most easily accessible, but also those who frequently may be forgotten or disfranchised. If certain populations are ignored, then the negative externalities that might come upon them might not be noticed.
0: I noticed that there are policies created and passed into law, but regulations must be written to implement these policies. What does this process generally consist of and what are the key differences between laws and regulations? For example, pharmacists in Rhode Island are now legally allowed to prescribe hormonal contraceptives, but how do we go about actually creating the training or certification required for this as specified in the law? This is also a concept I felt very confused
2: on when entering the career world. Um, My experience in graduate school focused so much on policy that we never really touched upon regulations. So even um, I will get confused by these differences still, But um, there are even different names in different states and jurisdictions, so regulations can be called can be called rules Um, laws are called codes, sometimes we call regulations administrative procedures where I am now. So even in my job, it's clear that the understanding of policy versus regulation is not one that's innate to most, and many places will just conflate the two, but simply put, a policy or law is a general procedure or belief, whereas a regulation is a how-to manual of implementing your policy or law. Laws and regulations can be written side by side, or you can write the policy law first and then have the regulation follow. The regulation could also even be written by a different governmental group than who wrote the initial law. So this is why advocacy doesn't just stop at lawmaking. It must continue to assure that the regulations or instructions are written clearly to make implementation as easy as possible. So using this hormonal contraceptive example, the creation or training or certification is exactly what the regulations will address in them. This won't be in the law, but in the regulations. Um, So the policymakers and experts of the field, this is assuming that the policymakers themselves aren't the experts, will come together and draft how to ensure that the law granting pharmacists this power is safely implemented in the regulations. So like the policymaking process, this also requires research and stakeholder analysis. But luckily, many times this kind of research has already been completed in the policy phase.
0: It sounds like you don't really have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to research for laws and regulations, which is good news. Research can also help with passing laws by providing evidence and anecdote-based written testimony. How can one go about writing and presenting this testimony, and is there any important difference between attending a hearing versus sending an email with written testimony, which is later posted online, especially for the House in Rhode Island specifically?
2: Yeah, so for Rhode Island state bills, one can submit a written testimony about a bill on the agenda that the bill is going to be on at the committee or at the House level. Testimony can also be in person you just show up to that meeting and you sign up outside of the meeting room. I think the bottom line is that whatever testimony you have the capacity and comfortability to do is the best. So while written testimony might not grant the human and personal connection of an in person comment that doesn't mean it goes unnoticed comments that are posted online and easily accessible are more likely to be read by those not in attendance in the meetings than an in-person testimony would be. As for the in-person testimony, this will establish an emotional aspect to the bill for policymakers that they might not have seen before. Legislators are also able to ask these stakeholders additional follow-up questions in the verbal testimony and are more likely to respond than in a written submission. In-person testimony can be extremely effective, but if working for a popular cause with many organizations lobbying, i do encourage collaboration and coordination, as hours of testimony about the same thing can sometimes lose the audience. I think in all forms of testimony, concision goes a really long way.
0: Shorter is always better, I agree, and limiting repetition requires coordination as well. When collaborating with stakeholders, it's important to provide evidence for why your bill would be expected to impact the community enough to implement it into law. Do you have any advice on how to go about selecting what research to present so it will have the most meaningful impact in terms of passing the bill? especially obtaining public engagement because the audience isn't always healthcare professionals.
2: I think this answer really varies depending on the policymaker, but I personally love hard facts and numbers. I try to find research with statistically significant results. Anecdotal evidence is important, but it can only go so far and can easily be explained away sometimes. I'm also a huge proponent of a comparative approach. If another state or community, especially one with similar socioeconomic demographics, has implemented a similar bill, I believe highlighting that community can go a long way this also connects to public engagement as seeing a community that looks like yours implementing a bill will help you imagine it and the effect of it into your own life than a study from somewhere completely unlike your own place. Um, So my current position is in a primarily BIPOC or Black Indigenous People of Color community that's overwhelmingly Spanish-speaking and in the middle of um, an urban area. So when looking at initiatives, those of similar urban districts like Boston or New York City have a lot more um, meaning for a district than an initiative from a next door district that's only 15 minutes away as it's primarily white and in a suburban area.
0: So it seems very helpful to demonstrate if similar efforts have been successful in other places. That's a great way to connect and build rapport with your audience. And we know legislation moves fast and there are so many bills presented in a session. This year, legislators are limited to how many bills they can introduce, which may help with keeping our bill on pharmacist provider status such a priority. In your experience, what works to keep policymakers' attention on a bill until it's passed?
2: As I mentioned earlier, emailing your legislators is much more easy and accessible than many people realize. You can also literally call their office. You have to keep in mind that these people are representing you and you have the right to make your voice heard. With that being said, coalition building is another way to keep attention to your cause. It's much harder for politicians to ignore a large group of advocates and organizations from various different sectors than just one. Events and media attention can also go a long way, generating awareness from the general public, strengthening your cause, and also creating pressure for policymakers. At the end of the day, politicians must run for re election and they don't want to alienate large groups of people. So I think building a coalition and as much people who support your cause as possible is a great way to make sure that your priorities stay on the agenda.
1: Yes, and it is, as many people probably know, an election year. So it's even more important to Think about the policies that are happening follow them um, and advocate for them because who knows maybe your representative or senator will run on the issues you have as they champion those bills so this has been a fascinating and really wonderful rich conversation very much appreciate it we always end with one question for our guests which is what do you think is the regimen for pharmacists and pharmacy students who want to be involved uh, in pharmacy advocacy and uh, legislation
2: Start by finding the specific pharmacy issue that you're passionate about and try to connect with other people who have the same interests. See if any existing advocacy work has already occurred and if it has, connect with those people already involved. And if it hasn't, you can be the start. Use your existing pharmacy network to build awareness, build a coalition around it, do some research, and then contact your local representatives with your findings.
0: This has been such a great conversation today about policy and pharmacy advocacy. I'd like to thank our incredible guest and my personal friend, Andrea Gustafson, for joining us and providing us great expertise and insight throughout the entire discussion today.
1: Yeah, it's been wonderful. We've got a series on pharmacist provider status, and this is a great foundation. Uh, so since it's a series, it means you have to keep listening to the regimen. Follow us at uh, on, our, on our socials at PharmD Pub Health. That's farm as in pharmacist at p-h-a-r-m-d as in doctor pub health all one word on instagram connect with us on linkedin turn on post notifications so you never miss an episode and for podcasts smash that subscribe button now on spotify apple podcasts youtube amazon music or wherever you listen to podcasts thanks so much everybody